0: You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, this is the one I'm really excited about. We're in John's Gospel. This is the book that God wrote. Amen? God wrote a book. This is the Word of God. And God has a word for you today. And this is the best-selling book in the history of the world. This is the most translated book in the history of the world. This is the most loved, hated, debated book in the history of the world. And this book is all about Jesus. And we're spending a whole year going through one book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. And it's written by Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. This is Jesus' best buddy when he's on the earth. And at this point, all the other disciples are dead. He is the last Living apostle. He is the eyewitness, and he sits down to write a book about Jesus, and he tells us what he saw with his own eyes, what he heard with his own ears, because he was there for the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to learn about a conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus. It's not included anywhere else in the Bible, so if John didn't record it, we would not know it. It is a tremendously important, significant conversation, and honestly. I am really, really, really excited to study this with you because I believe this could be something that God uses to unlock a brand new understanding of life and life with Christ, life filled with freedom, life filled with joy, life filled with the spirit. So we'll jump into John chapter three, starting in verse one. And the conversation and the question is, are you born again? So here's where we pick it up. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. These are Really religious guys. These are guys that memorize whole books of the Bible. They go to school. They take the test. These are the varsity religious folk. The problem is they're more conservative than God, okay? Let me just say this. If you're more conservative than God, you gotta scoot to the left, okay? And some of you are like, well, I'm more liberal than God. Well, then you gotta scoot to the right, okay? And what happens with the Pharisees, they they love They love obedience, they love holiness, they love the law, but they don't have as deep a love for God or people. And so that's that group. And his name is Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He may be part of a group called the Sanhedrin, which another man named the Apostle Paul was also part of. This man came to Jesus, so he comes to meet with Jesus. When did he come? By Night, so he's, he's a little scared, a little hesitant, a little reticent, so we'll call him Nick at night, okay? So we got a little <laughs> Nick at night here, came and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Now, this is unusual because Nicodemus is a certified, accredited, approved Teacher. He went to school, he passed the test, he got his approval, he is a licensed certified teacher. Jesus has not been through all the certification, has not passed the classes, does not have the same credentials, but he has the authority as the Son of God. And so what Nicodemus does, Nicodemus goes to Jesus to learn from Jesus and calls him Rabbi, which means teacher, so he's honoring him. He's, he's respecting him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, it's, he's, he's getting close, not just from God, he is God. But nonetheless, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Here's what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus says, I teach a class on miracles and you do miracles. So I find that interesting. It's one thing to teach a class. It's another thing to actually do that thing. Nicodemus doesn't do miracles, probably hasn't seen miracles. He teaches Bible classes about miracles and he's fascinated by Jesus because Jesus doesn't just teach about miracles, he does them. He heals people. Blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people are doing cartwheels and Nicodemus wants to figure out why. God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, some of your translations will say, amen, amen. I say to you, Unless one is, here's the big idea. What is it? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The big, the big issue for the, the theological types in that day was, what's the kingdom of God? Who's the king? When's it coming? How do we enter into the kingdom of God? You can't go to the kingdom, Jesus says, unless you're born again. Nicodemus, totally confused. Nicodemus is like, what? He looks like a beagle that heard a whistle. Like, what? You know, he's just sort of confused by all this. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How many of you mothers are like, I hope that's not the answer. (laughs) I hope that's the seven pound birth was a situation. My 32 year old son, I'm not sure how we're gonna do that geometry, okay? So Nicodemus has this question. He's like, how is this gonna work? And Nicodemus is thinking, how do I explain this to my mom? Mom, I I got good news and bad news what's the good news? I met Jesus. That's amazing, son. And I have bad news. He said the first birth wasn't right. We got to do over. (laughs) And I I think it's going to be awkward for both of us, mom. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this is going to work. So it, it is a, what you'll see sometimes in the Bible and even in Christianity, we have our own glossary. There are certain terms that Christians use that are in God's word that if you don't understand what they mean, they can be confusing and complicated. And so we need to kind of unpack and understand and investigate what this language means. Born again, it's a language that doesn't get really used outside of Christianity. It's not something that people normally typically talk about, but we'll unpack it in our time together today. The story uh, continues Jesus answered truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's a huge debate here as to what this means. Born of water, born of the spirit? The theologians will debate, commentaries are written, nerds just declare war. That's the way that it goes. And I'll just tell you what I think perhaps it could potentially, possibly might be. Amen? There are certain things that I am firmly committed to and I will die for. There are other things that I might let you throw a cotton ball at me for. Okay, this is one of those things. I'm not willing to die on this hill, but I think that maybe born of water talks about your physical birth, your natural birth, because a woman knows that the baby's coming when what happens? The water breaks. The water breaks, okay? So that's how we enter the world. Mom's water breaks. We're born naturally. We're born physically into the world. But what he's saying is you can... Not into the kingdom of God. If you're just born, you need to be born again. Not just born naturally, born supernaturally. Not just born of your mother, but born of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking here about the third member of the Trinity, the person, the presence, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your natural birth, your physical birth. And what is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's your supernatural birth. That's your spiritual birth. Do not marvel, Jesus said, at what I said to you, you must be born again. And then he compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, is a person. When we get to John 15 through 17, there's going to be a lengthy discussion from the Lord Jesus about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he'll repeatedly refer to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. So I wanna be clear that we're not talking about an impersonal force, but using an analogy, an illustration to explain the power and the presence of the person of the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. It was interesting driving in today, it was windy. It's a windy day. How many of you have realized you can't control the wind? You can't predict the wind. You can't direct the wind. And, and you can yell at the wind, and it doesn't seem to really care. It just kind of goes where it wants and does what it pleases. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is like that. He is powerful, free, and unpredictable. Some people struggle with the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they like God to work like Ikea furniture. Step one, step two, step three, step four, repeat the process and just follow the directions. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is He is free. He's free to go where he wants and do what he pleases. And sometimes the Holy Spirit does things in ways that you and I say, well, that's interesting. That's not the way I would have anticipated or predicted, but that's the way that God is destined. But the Holy Spirit brings the power of God. The power of God. That's what we're talking about. And uh, I said this yesterday at the uh, marriage event, and I'll repeat it. Because I only have a limited number of illustrations, and so, um, and I'm running out. So pray that exciting things happen and I can have better stories, But, um, or don't. But either way, um, how many of you have flown quite a bit for business or for leisure, right? Have you noticed that flying to somewhere and back from somewhere, the flight time is not always the same? Yeah, why is that? Because if you're flying into the headwinds, you burn more fuel and the flight takes longer. If you're with the tailwinds, you burn less fuel and you get there quicker. I recently had a a flight that took like five hours one direction and seven hours the other direction. What's the difference? Headwind versus tailwind. Life with the Holy Spirit is life with a tailwind. Okay? Okay. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be work. It doesn't mean you're not going to burn energy and fuel. It doesn't mean that you won't hit turbulence. It doesn't mean that the airbags, or excuse me, the, uh, the oxygen mass won't necessarily ever fall. But the Holy Spirit is like the wind. The Holy Spirit, he's like the tailwind. What this means is, if you want to obey God, he wants to help you. If you want to follow God... He wants to help you. If you want to live in God's will, if you're asking God, okay, God, I'm opening your word, you know, show me where the jet stream is. Show me where you bless. Show me where you want me to be. Show me who you want me to be. Show me what you want me to know. Show me, show me what you want me to learn. God, I want to be in your will. I want to be in your jet stream. I want to be in obedience and compliance with you. God says, I love you. And I'm really happy that that's your heart's desire. Let's get you into the place that I bless. And then you'll have a tailwind. You're going to make more progress. Some of you have seen that. Some of you have seen that in your life. I, I, I'm thinking of one particular person um, that's someone that I love very dear here at the Trinity Church. And first time I met with them, they're like, okay, I want to stop these bad behaviors in my life. God gave them a tailwind. They said, I want to meet a nice girl. God gave him a serious tailwind. Very nice girl. We want to have a baby. They're pregnant with a baby. Tailwind. They said, well, I'm praying for God to give me a new job to take care of my family. It's all happened very, very fast. We were talking, I said, how are you doing? He's like, this is amazing. God's so good to me and he's so gracious. And he's so, yeah, because you're, you're trying to live in his will. And it's not always easy, but it's a lot easier than flying into a headwind. Amen? Because then you're fighting against God and you're fighting against God's will for you. As you, as you live in God's will, you get a bit of a tailwind and, and God accelerates and compels and propels you forward. That's the, the big concept of what he's talking about. And what he's talking about here is a new birth, a supernatural spiritual birth by the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this in great detail. This was promised, predicted, and prophesied in the Old Testament that when Jesus came, he would take our sin and give the Spirit. He does both. He takes our sin and gives the Spirit. And by the way, that's a great deal for us. Amen? That's a great, I don't know about you. I've never had a trade-in like that. I'll take your sin and give you the spirit. That's an amazing deal that Jesus gives. And it was predicted in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. God says it this way. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, rebellious, foolish, foolish, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Tender heart, love for God, love for people, love for the word of God, love for the will of God. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the promise was made that God would take out our heart of stone. The heart is mentioned about 900 times in the Bible. It's the seat, sum and center of who you are. It's the invisible, immaterial center of your being. So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks that the heart is the center of our will, of our mind, of our emotions. It's talking about your inner life when it talks about your heart. And what God is saying is that you don't just need to be a better you, you need to be a new you. So he takes out the old you and puts in the new you, takes out the hard heart, puts in the tender heart, takes out the foolish heart, puts in the wise heart, puts puts in you the spirit of God to bring the life of God into your life. Now, the question that arises is, how does this happen? Is this something that God does or something that we do? So if you disagree with me, I love you. Welcome to the Trinity Church. I just wanna talk about this. Uh, We're going to jump into the deep end of the pool for a minute. Some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not understand what I'm talking about until sometime down the road. But today is the beginning of considering how does someone get born again? Some would say you choose God, and then when you choose God, you're born again. Can you choose God from your old heart? No, because the old heart doesn't love God. The old heart doesn't long for God. The old heart doesn't listen to God. That's the old nature. I'll just read it to you again. Ezekiel, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Let's go out on a ledge and ask, who does it? God says, I will. Because apart from the new heart, we are spiritually dead. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Dead. Now, let me ask this. Is Nicodemus spiritual? He is. He's actually very spiritual. He... Uh, he knows the Bible, he teaches classes about God, he goes to synagogue on Saturday, he obeys all of the feasts and festivals, he tithes a percentage of his income, he doesn't eat any pork products, Like he, he's got a long list of things. In fact, the first five books of the Old Testament have 613 laws. Nicodemus, to be a Pharisee and a teacher, would have had to have memorized all 613 laws and sought by the best of his ability to obey them all. Do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. That is his life. He prays, he goes to synagogue, he tithes, he, he teaches the Bible. He is very spiritual, but he doesn't have the spirit. You can be spiritual, but it doesn't matter if you don't have the spirit, okay? Okay. This is why there are people that are very devout. Oh, they're good people. They're, they, they do good things. They're nice people. They are nice people. They pray. They do pray. They, they know a little bit of scripture. They do know a little, but they don't know Jesus. They don't have the spirit. For the Christian, spirituality begins and ends with the spirit. That's why we don't want you just to be spiritual. We want you to be filled with the Spirit. And this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. You are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. And sometimes dead people do spiritual things, but the Bible calls those dead works. So here's what the Bible says Ephesians 2. I'll just read it to you 2 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is people who start like Nicodemus, they're born physically. They're not born again spiritually. They have the old nature and the old heart. They don't have the new nature and the new heart. Ephesians 2, five. When we were dead in our trespasses, may, God made us alive together with Christ. What, what the Bible is saying is people who don't know Jesus are physically alive, spiritually what? Dead. What kind of decisions do dead people make? None. It's, it's a universal truth, right? Dead people don't make decisions. Okay. So how does a dead person decide that they're going to have a relationship with God? Dead people don't make any decisions, particularly regarding relationships. Furthermore, Romans 3, 10 and 11, no one is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. So here's the point. Nicodemus is physically alive, spiritually dead, doing spiritual things, but does not have the Holy Spirit. How does someone like Nicodemus go from death to life? How do they get the old heart taken out and the new heart put in? Is it something that they do or is it something that God does? God does. Now, some of you are theologically like, we're deep in the weeds now, Pastor Mark, you're welcome. And, uh, and we are deep in the weeds. But, but here's the point. I love the analogy of being born again. None of you birthed yourself. Amen. Can we all agree on that? Yes. If we disagree on everything else, can we agree? that You're like, yeah, I did not go into labor and come out of myself. For sure that did not happen, okay? <laughs> you didn't birth yourself physically. You don't birth yourself spiritually. You don't cause yourself to be born physically. You don't cause yourself to be born again spiritually. See, You understand that? Yes. So, now, some of you say, but I thought we're supposed to trust God, and we're supposed to cry out to God, and we're supposed to choose God. We are out of the new nature, out of the new heart. What happens when a baby is born? We're waiting for them to do what? Cry, because then we know they're alive. They're okay. I was there for the birth of all of my five kids. The baby is born, and I'm waiting. Like, are they going to cry? And they cry, and you're happy. And then they keep crying, and it's... It's it's not as joyful, (laughs) right? But they cry in the same way, you know that you've been born again when you cry out to God. When you're like, God, I love you. You've been born again. God, I need you. I've been born again. God, I'm I'm sinful. I need your grace. You've been born again. Just like a child that's born cries out. So a child of God that is born again cries out to God. We do choose God. We do long for God. We do confess our sins to God. We do trust in God after he causes us to be born again. And that's in response to him out of the new heart, out of the new nature of the person that is born again. Now, let me say this. Some of you are brand new Christians and you don't even know what happened to you. How many of you have been Christians for a while and maybe this was your first experience? You became a Christian. You're like, I, I don't even know what happened. I talked to a guy not long ago. He came in, he's like, okay, I need a Bible. I said, why? He's like, I have no idea. I just really want one. <laughs> you know what? You've been born again, son. That's what you. <laughs> because the Bible says, Peter says, that when you're born again, you're like a baby that craves nourishment and milk. And just like a baby that's born is hungry and wants to eat, a child of God that's born again is hungry for the word of God. You're All of a sudden, you're like, I don't know why. I just really like the Bible. How many of you are, are freaked out that you like the Bible? You don't know what happened. You're like, I wasn't looking for this. Next thing you know, I'm like, oh, there's a Bible. This is amazing. I love it. This has been my whole life since I was saved. I, I, I was the guy. I became a Christian in college. God saved me. Um, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I really want to learn the Bible. You know why? I was born again. My old nature was not a big Bible fan. I'll just tell you that. It was not a big Bible fan. I remember being in college and I was like, I started reading the Bible. I actually paid way more devoted attention to the Bible than I did any of my classes in college. I would skip class to read my Bible. I was that guy. I was the weirdest guy I had ever met. But my desires changed. My nature changed. My heart changed. I found a church and the pastor got up and said these words, open your Bible. And I was like, Oh, I'm in the right place. Oh, this is amazing. And so he started teaching the Bible and I'm learning the Bible. And then they said, Oh, hey, guess what? You can, uh, you can join our Bible study classes. I was like, Oh, I didn't know these existed. This is amazing. So they send around a clipboard in church with all the Bible classes. I didn't know. I signed up for all of them. I signed up for all of the Bible studies. And the pastor's like, Did you sign up for all the studies? Yes, I did. He's like, Why? I was like, I have no idea. It just sounded amazing to me. He's like, Well, you know, you don't have to go to all of them. I was like, I don't know. I'm new. You know, I'm, I, I can I, can I go to? He's like, We well, can go to all the studies. I went to all the Bibles, all, all the Bible studies at the church I went to. They're like, You're here again. Yep, it's me. What are we doing now? And, and I, my, my roommate, Thought I had lost my mind. And he's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to Bible study again. I'm going to more Bible studies. I'll be back in a decade. I'm going to Bible study. And he's like, What happened? I was like, I honestly don't know. I just know that I like the Bible. You know what that means? Born again. The Spirit of God who wrote the scriptures lives in me and has given me a desire to know the scriptures. This is something that I am struggling. I love you. I'm excited to teach, but I strain to even articulate what this is because it's an experience, right? It's like falling in love. You're like, what's it like? Well, I can give you words, but until you're in love, it's, it's hard to really understand the depth of it. I can tell you what it's like to have a child and adore them and love them. And words can contribute, but until you have a child, it's hard to really relate. When you've been born again, and some of you know what this is like, you you just, you change, and you're changed, and you're changing, okay? The Bible uses a lot of language to articulate this. Born again, right? Regeneration, new heart, new self, partakers of the divine nature, new creation, new man, alive together with Christ, created in Christ Jesus, in Christ, a good tree that bears good fruit. If you're a Christian, that's you. Now I'm gonna gonna pick on something. Christians believe, or many do, in something called total depravity. This means that sin is infected and affected your mind, will, and emotions, the totality of your person. But once you're born again, Total depravity does not describe the Christian because you are new. You're a new creation. You're a new person. Sin may be some of what you do, but it is not the sum of who you are. You may struggle with sin, but your new nature ultimately causes you to hate sin and love God. This is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. If you're a Christian, you have a new nature, and with that new nature comes new desires. This is where non-Christians do not, and if you're here, you're a non-Christian, we love you, we're glad to have you. But the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian's understanding of the Christian life is this. The the non-Christian reads the Bible and says, that's just a terrible book filled with a whole bunch of things that God doesn't let us do. And if we do them, he sends us to hell. The Christian says, actually, no, it's a great book that tells me all the things that I get to do. And I don't do them to avoid hell. I know that Jesus already took care of that problem. I do them because I want to get ready for heaven. What I'm saying is that the new believer is a new creation with a new heart and a new nature that has the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he brings new desires. I'll use a a gross analogy Um, about black licorice. Some of you have heard me say this. And again, I only have a limited number of illustrations. So occasionally I repeat them. But when I was a little boy, my grandpa George was one of my favorite people on the earth. He drove a Buick because that's what grandpas do. They drive Buicks. And he had in the glove box, a bag of lollipops. So every time you drove with grandpa, he would give you lollipops. Grandpa was a big guy, probably a diabetic. And I loved him. But in retrospect, I think he He was trying to make me into a diabetic, because all we ever ate, we we had three basic food groups, lollipops, black licorice, and caramel apples. Those were our three basic food groups. And if you're with Grandpa George, those are your options. Now, Grandma, she didn't really appreciate our dietary choices, and so she would tell us not to eat all this candy and junk. What we would do, this was not right, but but it was fun, Um, this, that, that's my old nature. Now I I know I wouldn't have enjoyed it, but, um, but anyways, late at night, grandma would go to bed and grandpa would wink at me. And that meant stay awake. We're going to sneak up and watch wrestling and grandma won't know. So Roddy Roddy Piper, the Iron Sheik. Um, um, oh yeah. Yeah. Andre the giant. I actually, okay. I'll tell you. He was coming out of... We, my grandpa took me to a wrestling match, and I leaned over the rail from my seat, and I got to touch Andre the Giant. <laughs> I have not washed this hand since it... I felt like a Muslim kid going to Mecca, like, this is a sacred place right here. This is amazing. So we would sneak up, and we would watch the fake wrestling, okay? And for some of you, I'm sorry, I just spoiled it, okay? You, you now know it's fake, Um and the rule was, you could eat as much black licorice as you wanted while you were watching Wrestling with Grandpa. So I ate a lot. I ate my weight in black licorice. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the flu. I don't know if it was a blood sugar level thing. I don't know if I just ate too much black licorice. But I could feel the black licorice making the round trip, if you know what I'm talking about. Um and I'm feeling really sick. And I look at my grandpa. He's like, don't make any noise. You're going to wake grandma up. Said, so, you know, I'm trying to hold back the avalanche, you know, is what I, but it's, it's hopeless. So I go to throw up and I, and I blew pounds of black licorice out of my nose. Pounds, pounds, pounds of chewed black licorice out of my nose. Okay, for me, that was a conversion experience, okay? (laughs) Prior to that, did I like black licorice? With all my heart. And then I had a profound change at the deepest level of my being, a conversion experience where I was delivered from black licorice in an instant. For the rest of my life, I cannot smell black licorice. I cannot. It's like kryptonite to Superman. Grace will testify. She liked these things called good and plenty. And I think they're bad and nasty. That's what I think. <laughs> we were on our honeymoon, and she pulls out a box of good and plenty, and she's chewing on them. And, uh, uh, <laughs> And she literally, she put some under my nose. Do you want some? I was like, no. (laughs) Oh, no. No. No, I have had a deep, profound change at the core of my being. Okay. Meeting Jesus is like that. Amen. Well, some of you are like that. Okay, that's the best illustration I got. I mean, that's all I got. So, But how many of you, you, there were things you loved. You loved, loved, and it was wrong, and it was nasty, and it was unhealthy, and it was ungodly. And you, and then you got born again, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't like that anymore. And, but, and, and you're like, well, I used to like it. Let me go try it. And you're like, oh my gosh. I feel so sick. How many of you, that was last night. Welcome to Trinity Church, right? You know, (laughs) but what happens is your desires change, okay? Here's what I want you to know. Christianity is not about what you have to do. It's about what you get to do. It's about what you get to do. That's why, that's why growing up, I always tried to encourage our kids. You know, you get to read the Bible. You don't have to. God wants to talk to you. And you get to talk to him. We call that prayer. You get to be generous. You get to love. You get to serve. You don't have to. What is horrible is when we take get-tos and we make them have-tos. I've said it before, but if you come up to me and you're like, you have to kiss grace. i will be like, you don't have to say it like that. Right? Because it's something that I, I'll let you know a little secret, that I want to do. Okay? Because... I love her and we have a relationship. I want to obey God because I love him and we have a relationship. And I don't want to obey God so that I can avoid hell. Jesus already took care of that. I want to obey God so that I can get ready for heaven. And what happens when you become a Christian, how many of you, this is your experience. You're like, my desires changed. Who I was is not who I am. What I used to love, I now hate. And the things I used to hate, The things of God I now love. That's the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And what he's saying is this, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Next slide. Uh, Who is Jesus to you? How do you know if you're born again? Well, first thing is, who do you think Jesus is? Born again, people all agree, he is God. God who lived without sin, died for my sin, rose as my savior and wants a relationship with me. Non-Christians think differently. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus is still confused. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I thought you were the teacher of the Bible. I am the subject of the Bible. You're arguing with me. You should be listening to me. Let me say this. I wanna be careful with this, okay? As your pastor who loves you, do I believe that the Bible is fully, totally, completely, truly God's word? Yes or no? For sure. But let me say this. You can know the Bible and not know Jesus. Nicodemus probably has memorized maybe the first five books of the Old Testament in Hebrew. But he doesn't know Jesus. Okay. Now, If you want to know Jesus, you need to know the Bible, because the Bible will tell you about Jesus. So I believe to know Jesus, you need to know the Bible, but just by knowing the Bible doesn't guarantee you know Jesus, because the whole point of the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is going to have this argument coming up in John chapter 5, with these religious leaders. They come to him, and they argue, and they debate, as Nicodemus here is to some degree. And he says, you diligently study the scriptures, thinking that in them you'll find eternal life, yet you fail to recognize these scriptures testify about me. So, you don't understand the Bible if you don't know Jesus. Nicodemus knows the Bible, but he doesn't know Jesus. Okay, that's the issue. That's the issue. If you're born again, you not only know the Bible, you know Jesus, the hero of the Bible. He says, you're the teacher, you don't understand these things? Goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, Jesus says, We speak of what we know when we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus says, you're a professor, you showed up, I'm teaching, and here's the deal, you're arguing with me. You're not listening to me. Now, we could judge Nicodemus, or we could say, you know what? We all do that on occasion. Sometimes people already have their conclusions, and they open the Bible just trying to find something that sounds like it can justify what they want it to say. People do this all the time. Sometimes people open the Bible and so say, I disagree with that. Well, then you're wrong. All right, let me make it simple for you. Jesus is saying, I'm explaining this to you, and you're not agreeing with me. You're arguing with me. Is there any area in your life where you're arguing with the word of God? It's telling you to repent. It's telling you to forgive. It's telling you to listen, and, and you're rebelling and not responding. Jesus goes on, if I have told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if you I tell you heavenly things. And then this is interesting. N- no one has ascended, pay careful attention to that word, into heaven except he who descended, pay careful attention to that word, from heaven, the son of man. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 70-ish times. It's his favorite self-designation. It comes out of Daniel 7. It talks about God coming into human history as a man. It's a clear declaration of his divinity. He goes on to say, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What Jesus is doing is he is explaining to Nicodemus two worldviews, two mindsets, two ideologies. One is ascended. The other is descended. So there is God in heaven, us on earth. God is holy, we are sinful. How does that gap get closed? How does that relationship get reconciled? Everything except for Christianity is ascended. How do we go up to God? This is what is called works. This is what I will call religion. Every religion, in some form or fashion, teaches how to ascend, die reincarnate, pay off your karmic debt, ascend to God. Live a good life, have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, ascend to God. Go to a holy place, offer a sacrifice, make a pilgrimage, something of that sort or kind, ascend to God. Some are devoutly religious and meticulously living their life, hoping to achieve a status where they are good enough to be with God. Other people are just sort of self-righteous and lazy, assume that God grades on a curve and they'll be fine because they're good enough. Okay, those, but all of that is works theology. Good people go to heaven, bad people don't. Do your best and you get to be with God forever. That's the basic gist of what I'll call works. Nicodemus is, he is functionally operating from what I'll call a works theology, how to ascend up to God. Now, a couple of problems. First of all, you never know if you've done enough. Did I do enough? I don't know. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. His mom holds to a works theology. She's a very older woman, been in church for a long time. And she's near the end of her life and still tells her son she goes to church every Sunday devoutly. She said, I I sure hope I get to go to heaven when I die. It's like, mom, Jesus loves you and you love Jesus. She said, yeah, but I just don't know if I've been good enough. See, the problem with works is it doesn't start with a relationship. You don't have a relationship and you, you die and you hope that you get a relationship. You never know if you've done enough. And if you have a bad day, did you just undo your good day? And it causes some people to live in constant torment because they're unsure of their eternal destiny. The other problem is, let's say you do a good job and you obey whatever the rules of the religious system are and you're climbing up the ladder, you become very arrogant, self-righteous, and proud and you literally look down on everyone else. I don't know why you struggle with that. I've overcome that. I used to do that. I'm now victorious over that. I tie the certain percentage. I know where my pants are. What's wrong with you? And we get very judgmental and self-righteous of other people and as a result, we are then guilty of pride which is the worst sin of all. It's the sin that was the first sin of Satan that he became proud in his heart. And religion is all about pride, which is demonic. It doesn't get you closer to God. It, in fact, is a tremendous offense to God. That is all the theology of ascending. The other option is descending. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. That we don't go up to God, that God comes to us. Every Christmas, you get this card in the mail, it says Emmanuel. What's that mean? God with us. Eternity will not be enough time for you to fully understand the love that Jesus has for you. Think about this. Jesus was in heaven, came to earth. How many of you would not book that flight? You're like, I'm in heaven. Heaven is nice. Amen. I heaven makes Paradise Valley look like a dump. He- heaven is very nice. It's so nice. The sun is always shining. There's no sin. There's no evil. There's no death. It says that the streets are paved with what? Gold. Wow. That's 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 a fluent lifestyle. Amen? You're like, what do we do with the gold? I don't know. Make the 101? I don't know. There's, just, there's nowhere else to stick it. You know, there's just so much. Jesus is in heaven. He is seated on a what? Throne. On a throne. Comes down to a manger. Goes from riches. The Bible says, for our sake, the rich he became poor. Jesus was worshiped by angels day and night. And here's what he heard. Holy, holy, holy. He came down and heard, crucify, crucify, crucify. Most of our relationships are born of convenience. We work with someone, we live near someone, they're relatives, we can't get rid of them. You know, that's just the way that it works. Very rarely do we have a great distance between us and someone and we go to great expense and personal cost to close that distance so that we can be with them because we love them so much. That's This is such good news. That's what Jesus has done for you. That's what Jesus has done for you. He came down to be with you. He came down to love you. He came down to embrace you. He came down to forgive you. He came down to pursue a relationship with you. That's that's the descended. Here's what's tragic. Jesus is there with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is trying to figure out how to go up to God and overlooks the fact that God has come down to be with him. Okay? I want you to understand and see I like a crying baby in this sermon. Amen. Yeah. See, hear the baby cry, hear the baby coo. Okay, God's a father, you're his child. When you pray, he hears. When you're scared, he embraces, he holds, he comforts. When you're alone, he's there for you. And You can learn a lot about your relationship with God by just watching a baby, right? You are the children of God. God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. He's come to have a relationship with you, to bring you home to your dad. That's what it means to be born again. It means that you're born spiritually, you grow spiritually, and in the end, you're with your dad forever. Amen? It's amazing. This is why the Bible's called good news. This is such good news. I'll just tell you this. Works is bad news. And let me say this. We're all saved by works, but it's Jesus' works, not ours. That's where religion gets it wrong. Religion says, well, something needs to be done. And Jesus says, it is finished. All the work's done. All the work's done. All the work's done. So Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' work on our behalf. That's how we enter into relationship with God. And it's interesting too, this ascended, descended, there's this little line here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's a little interesting, right? So what would happen is, I believe this is back in Numbers 21, as God's people, the Israelites, they're wandering in the wilderness, some of them will get bit by a snake. And living in Arizona, I now know that this continues. Okay, you got to be careful. When you get bit by a snake, you're going to die. So rather than a copay, a deductible, God came up with a healing plan. And God's healing plan was, we'll take a bronze serpent, we'll put it on a pole, Moses will hold it up, if you get bit by the snake, you, in faith, come to that symbol and you look up, and then you will be healed, and they were healed. What does this have to do with Jesus? It's a type of Christ. It points to Jesus, and here's the point. Satan is a serpent, and we've all been snake bit, and as a result, we're all spiritually in the death process, physically as well as spiritually spiritually, And we need to be healed, we need to be delivered from this snake bite that infects us all. And so what do we do? We don't go up, we look up. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And if we in faith look up to Jesus, we are healed spiritually as they were healed physically. Physically. And and it's interesting because what is the universal symbol of healing in medicine? A snake, a serpent. And when you look at a serpent or a snake, you think that is not the object that seems like it would heal me. When you look at Jesus hanging on a cross, suffering, bleeding, weeping, and dying, you don't think there's my victory. There's my healing. There's my deliverer, there's my rescuer, there's my hope. But there he is, and there it is. Those who in faith look up to that which does not at first glance appear that it can heal and save, if they trust in that object by faith, that object that is lifted up, then they are healed. So this is why we love Jesus and we believe in the cross. We believe that on the cross, Jesus took our place. We believe that Jesus paid our penalty. We believe that Jesus endured the wrath of God and suffering in our place for our sins and in his death is our life. This is why early Christians, starting with the church father, Tertullian, have chosen the cross as the symbol and sign of our faith. It's why we got a cross on the roof, a cross in the foyer, and a cross out front. We're going to make you go by it a few times just so you don't miss it. Amen? And so as Christians, we love Jesus, and it's not about going up, it's about God coming down and us looking up to see our crucified Savior, trusting Him in faith, receiving new life, the Holy Spirit, being born again, and then out of that new nature, living a new life with a new passion to a new Lord, with a new destiny, and new joy, and new hope as a healed born-again person, Amen? amen? That's the Christian life, that's what it's all about what it's all about all right last one maybe when the preacher says that he doesn't really mean it he's just saying i don't know if you'll pay attention so please pay attention all right here we go the question then is what's your eternal destiny are you born again you say i don't know what do you think about jesus do you believe in jesus do you know jesus do you love jesus do you trust jesus are are you excited about jesus are you motivated by jesus if so what's your eternal destiny for god so loved the. Uh, Well, here's the great end zone verse. Every football game, there's a crazy guy in the end zone. And this is his verse. For God so loved the world. Most religions, in fact, perhaps all religions, their God only loves their kind. So different people groups have different religions because their false demon God only loves their kind. God made All people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all cultures, all bear his image equally. God loves everyone equally. Everyone who is his image bearer, he loves them, he cares for them, he loves you, he cares for you. And so God is global in his passion for people and his compassion for people. That's why the great scene in Revelation is there's Jesus on the throne, all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the peoples gathered around him. That ultimately our God is a multicultural, diverse, global God who loved the whole world. And and that includes those who start as his enemies and he makes them into family. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How do you know what love is? Look to Jesus. Love is not just what we say. Love is sometimes what we feel, but love is most clearly revealed in what we do. Love is action. Love is motion. Love is passion. If I told Grace, I love you, and I never did anything, that would not be love. If I told my children, I love you, I just don't do anything for you, they would say, Dad, then you don't love us. Because love is sometimes what you feel, but it is always what you do. Love is action, love is action, love is action. God's love is action toward us. God so loved the world that he gave, he's generous. He's a giver and he's a forgiver. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here, the gauntlet is laid down. All of human history is separated into two categories those who perish and those who have eternal life. Let me make this as plain as I can. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, you are born again, you're adopted into the family of God, you are a child of God, and your eternal destiny is sealed. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God came down to us, that he lived the life that we have not lived, the life without sin. That he died the death, that we should have died the death for sin. That he rose to conquer Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. That we are saved solely, exclusively, totally, completely, eternally, not by our works, but by his finished work. If you don't believe that, then your current condition, my dear friend, is you are in the process of perishing. You are living in the path of the wrath of God. That you will die and not stand before a mirror to give an account for your life. You will stand before the risen Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for your life and face an eternal sentencing and destiny. My job is to tell the truth. Your job is to make a decision. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the issue. That's the issue. He continues... For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus talks of hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus depicts it as the gnashing of teeth, as the wailing in pain, as as, as a lake of burning fire. The way the Bible tells us about hell, it is to discourage us from going there. Amen? There, it is not a brochure for a vacation package it is depicted in the most hellacious of terms because god wants us all to be clear with jesus heaven without jesus hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and the question is are you saved or condemned eternal life or eternal perishing with jesus or against jesus And I know in our culture, it is not popular and fashionable to be this clear, but I need to be this clear because this is the most important decision you will ever make. This is the decision that will affect not just your life, but your eternal life. And God says that you need not perish and you need not be condemned because Jesus came to have a relationship with you and to forgive you. Whoever believes, whoever believes, you can believe, you can believe, you can believe, you can believe, you can believe. Whoever believes, he will take you. He will love you. He will forgive you. He will embrace you. He will serve you. He will fill you. He will change you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never betray you. Whoever believes. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. How many would testify? I am not condemned. My burden is lifted. My sins are forgiven. My destiny is secure. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's very clear, my friends. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Next slide. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Here comes Jesus. He is the light of the world. And people love darkness. That would depict our current cultural condition, darkness. Rather than the light, because their works were evil. When God shines his spotlight born again, people run into it and say, Jesus, rescue me. And those who are unsaved, they run from it because they are criminals and they want to continue their deeds of darkness. For everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What he's saying is this, The born-again person says, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus, you found me. That's amazing. You want to shine your light on me? You want to love me? You want to forgive me? You want to have a relationship with me? You want to spend forever with me? All I got to do is believe in you. You'll take my sin and give me the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to change my nature, my identity, going to give me new passions, going to give me new pleasures and new desires. I'm going to live a life that is alive and not a life of death. And then I'm going to die and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be like you and I'm going to be joyful forever. Then I'm in. Then I'm in. Because that's the good news. How do you know that you are born again? You know what? Your life is not about what you have to do. It's about what you get to do. Let me make this very, very, very clear. My dear friend, you are gonna be tempted by lower, weaker, lesser desires. Do not feed them, starve them. Instead, Feed, nourish the deepest desires in your heart and soul. Feed those deep desires from God, the Holy Spirit. You'll grow healthy. You know what? I I read my Bible because I want to. I don't know if you notice this. I get really excited about the Bible. I really like it. It's changed my life. It's healed people. It's transformed destinies. It's saved families. You don't have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. God wrote a book. That's amazing. God wants to talk to you. That's crazy. I would like to know what he has to say. God would like to help you. Well, I need help. God would like to show you some stuff you don't know. Well, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. That's why it's a big book. I'm so glad that I get to read the Bible. We come to church. We don't have to come to church. We get to come to church we we're going to take communion a moment remembering the broken body shed blood of jesus we don't have to take communion we get to take oh i'm loved i'm forgiven when we take communion it's our way of looking up to jesus the one who descended down to save us and we're gonna we're gonna sing you know why we get to and we want to that's why not because we have to Not because we have to, but because we get to and we want to. I'll be honest with you. I come to both services, and I like to sing. And I don't sing well. But what I lack in pitch, I make up for in enthusiastic volume. That's how I do it. And I figure between me and God is a filter, and it's going to sound amazing by the time it gets up there. So I sing because my soul needs to worship God. And as I worship God, I feel like I'm getting healthier at the level of the soul. I pray not because I have to, because I've got a dad who will have a conversation with me and he's there to help me and that's amazing. So I'll talk to him and we call it prayer. And, 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 and I want you, I just want you so bad to not try and live the Christian life, but to let the Holy Spirit unleash and release the life of Christ in you. I want it to be a tailwind, not a headwind. I want it to be a get-to, not a have-to. Because ultimately, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you, my friend, want to. Amen? Amen? So who wants to sing? Who wants to pray? Who wants to worship? Who wants to be forgiven? Who wants to meet with God? Father God, thank you so much for this amazing, glorious, great, grand, and good revelation of this amazing conversation between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus God, please send the Holy Spirit. I confess, Lord, my words strain to articulate, express, and explain something that is the work of the Spirit. It is, it is His work that is mysterious. It's powerful. It's, 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 it's something that we experience in human language strains to express and articulate. So, Holy Spirit, I am inviting you in the name of Jesus Christ... To fill this place, to fill these people, to bring them your presence, to bring them your power, to awaken in them new desires, your desires for their destiny. And Lord God, I ask that they would now experience the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that comes in the wake of the work of the Spirit. God, these are dear people. Lord Jesus, you love them. I pray that they would respond to your love. You pursue them. I pray that they would pursue you in response. You're passionate for them. And I pray they would be passionate for you in response because they have been born again and born again kids cry out to their father with great joy. And we now do so in Jesus' good name. Amen.